The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Let's pray together as we prepare to hear the Word of God. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you reveal yourself, Lord, and uh, we pray that you would do it again. Lord, for many of us, we're Christians, you have revealed yourself, and in the depths of our being, we have trusted Christ, and he has brought us near. Lord, uh, to all of us, you've revealed yourself in creation, we, we know you're there, uh, and for all of us, we need you to reveal yourself yet again. Lord, show us yourself from your word, show us ourselves in light of your word, and let it form us, let it shape us. Have your way in us, Lord, for your glory we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Is there a God? What is he like? What does that mean for me? Is there a God? What is he like? What does that mean for me? Wouldn't you agree these are some of the greatest and highest questions a person can ask? There's nothing more important than this. But how can we possibly know the answer? How can we know? Uh, We're all probably aware that the great Albert Einstein was, uh, I guess, the greatest physician, physicist, sorry, of all time. Uh, What, developing the theory of relativity, contributing to the theory of quantum mechanics. So I guess that just goes to say he's smarter than most of us, okay? Uh, He was once asked at a dinner party, if he was religious, and this is what he said. He said, yes, you can call it that. Try and penetrate with our limited means the secrets of nature, and you will find that behind all the discernible laws and connections, there remains something subtle, intangible, and inexplicable. Veneration for this force beyond anything we can comprehend is my religion. Einstein would say at another time, he said this, we are in the position of a little child entering a huge library filled with books in many languages. The child knows someone must have written those books. It does not know how. It does not understand the languages in which they are written. The child dimly suspects a mysterious order in the arrangement of the books, but doesn't know what it is. That, it seems to me, is the attitude even of even the most intelligent human being toward God. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, um, it should be said, Einstein was not a Christian. He didn't have much respect for more organized religion. But it's, it's obvious to see, isn't it, that, that Einstein's mind, and we, have to, we all have to admit, it's an incredible mind, which unraveled breathtaking discoveries of the natural world, It led him to this sober conclusion. It was as if he was like a small child in a grand library and something, someone was behind it all. And yet the child only has this dim suspicion. He knows there's a great power and a great wisdom, but he just can't grasp it. So what for us? We're pausing uh, our study through the book of Hebrews for a few weeks uh, in the month of January. We're going to give some focus to some important themes as we begin the new year, okay? And uh, 
we're thinking especially today about God's revelation of himself and how to respond. God's revelation of himself and how to respond. To reveal means to lay bare or to open up a mystery. It means to make something known that was previously unknown. To reveal is to communicate reality that wasn't understood before. And I think we see, I hope the the example of Einstein illustrates this. For us to truly know God, he will have to reveal himself to us. He's got to want to be known, and he's got to want to come to our level and show us in ways that we can grasp who he is. That's the only way we can know him, is if he reveals himself to us. You'd probably agree, right? There's a need for self-revelation in any relationship. If I'm really going to know you, if you're really going to know me, I'm going to have to reveal what I think, how I feel, what I'm about. And you're going to have to do that to me. And I'm going I'm to see, and you're going to see we can know one another. But when it comes to God, it's just next level, right? I mean, you can't just go to God's address and grab him by the collar and see his face, No, God is elusive somehow, isn't he? There's this horrible, mysterious distance between us and God. One author put it like this. It's like like Hamlet trying to discover Shakespeare. Think about that. How, how How do I meet the author of the story that I'm in? It's, um, he's the create, he's the creator, We're the creature, so he's nearer than breath, and yet he's elusive, he's set apart, he's transcendent. So we can't just demand that we know him. It's it's as if he's everywhere, but we can't find him on our own. We cannot know God unless he reveals himself to us. The happy wonder that Christians love to celebrate is that God has revealed himself. He does reveal himself. He is revealing himself, and that's what Psalm 19 is all about. It celebrates God's revelation of himself. So we're going to see four ways God reveals himself in this psalm. But however, just just before we get there, I want you to, to realize with this gift of revelation, there comes a catch. Because anytime God reveals himself to you, you now have to respond There's a response called for. In fact, it's impossible not to respond. Boredom is a response. Ignoring it is a response. Twisting it is a response. Trusting it is a response. And so it's this dangerous privilege we have to have God reveal himself to us. How will we respond? That's what we want to think about this morning. So we're going to look at four ways God reveals himself and how we ought to respond. The first way God reveals himself, discussed by the psalm, we see in verses 1 to 6. We could call this general revelation. The psalmist is much more poetic in the way he describes it, much more beautiful. The first way God reveals himself, as we see in verses 1 to 6, is specifically in the majesty of the skies. It's creation itself. And so the psalmist talks about the sun like a bridegroom coming, you know, all dressed up, celebrating 
glorious. So we think about the sun. How many of you, you take the sun for granted? It's kind of nice to do that, right? Anybody worried if the sun was going to rise today? Anxious about that? No, we, we, feel, we feel pretty good about that. But most of the time, we don't think about it. Every once in a while, we'll appreciate the beauty of the sunrise. How many of you are crazy enough to do that? You're going to get up that early. You're going to get up in the dark. You see the light begin to change. It goes from black to gray. Color begins to pop. You see the orange on the horizon. It's a beautiful thing. You should try it to see the sunrise. Or there's the beauty of the sunset. In Southern California, we have the market on this, right? Go to the beach and the sun sets over the ocean and you see the glory of it. You see the colors in the sky. And we dare not stare at the sun in the middle of the day. Oh no. Just to ponder the sun is to realize overwhelming power, isn't it? Overwhelming power. You probably know the sun is 100 times bigger than the earth. The earth is large. The sun is 100 times bigger than the earth. If the sun were as tall as a typical front door, the earth would be the size of a nickel. It's humongous. It's majestic. Evidently, the temperature at the sun's core is about 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. I don't even understand that. I don't understand that. And yet the sun is a relatively small star among an innumerable host. To ponder the sun is also to find overwhelming precision. Closer to the sun, we burn. Farther from the sun, we freeze. Man, it's just lucky, isn't it, that we're just right here. And we go around the sun very quickly and spin in orbit and Wow, even as I talk about the sun, it's obvious, I, it's obvious that I hardly know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. There's so much I don't know. And yet, even as I just consider the sun, the sun is telling me something very clearly. In fact, one of the sun's many talents is that the sun speaks everyone's language all the time. It speaks every language, the psalm says. Because you know what he's saying? You know what the sun is saying and the sky is saying to every human being who's ever lived, every human being who's ever felt the warmth of the sun on her face, seen the beauty of the sky, noticed the plants growing, the seasons changing, the sun is telling us all one thing and we, we all understand it. And what is it in verse one? The heavens declare the glory of God. It's the glory of God. That's what Einstein was sensing, isn't it? There's some power, there's some beauty, there's some knowledge. And we just, we see, we see how the world works. It's, it's telling you there's a God and he's glorious. He's glorious. Glory, glory just means a heavy, serious, powerful, awesome beauty. You see the power of the sun and the one who made that is more powerful. And you see the beauty and wisdom and precision of the sun and creation. And the one who made that is more beautiful, more wise, more powerful. He's the source and giver of life. And it fills us with wonder. It fills us with wonder. But it leads us to a crisis. It leads us to a crisis. Because we now know, and we know that we know, that there's a glorious God. And we now must ask, how 
have I responded to him? And it leads us to a crisis. You know, there's a lot of people in the world who want to stop this psalm at verse 6. Stop the psalm at verse 6. And then we could do something like this. You know anybody like this? Maybe this is you. I believe in a higher power. In fact, I'm spiritual, just not religious. I, I agree. There's a higher power. There's, there's something there. But then so many, for so many hearts, we just kind of want to stop right there. We, we can't really know. There's, there isn't more revelation. There's probably a lot of reasons people do this, but I suspect one reason is it's really terrifying to know anymore. It's easier to not know anymore. Now, let's be honest. If you don't know anymore, it's gonna be, you're going to live in a world of despair and meaninglessness and hopelessness because all you're going to have is yourself. You need to know more. But there's a comfort to not knowing more because if I don't know anymore, I don't have to submit myself to the authority of God. <laughs> I don't have to reckon with who he is or really what he really wants. So let's just keep him at, I'm not really sure, isn't that amazing? Let's keep him there. But I, I want you to now see a difference between this first kind of revelation, general revelation, God revealing himself in creation, versus what we could call special revelation, God revealing himself in his word, in the books of the Bible. In verses 1 to 6, general revelation, did you notice that God is mentioned once? The heavens declare the glory of God. And the word used for God there in verse 1, the Hebrew word, is El. So that just means it's the generic word for God that everyone would use, God. One time, the generic word. Did you notice a difference starting at verse 7? From 7 to 9, God is mentioned six times. Every line nearly. Six times he's mentioned, and what, by what name is he mentioned? Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord. That's a, that's a different word for God. It's Yahweh. It's God in his covenantal name. It's God as he reveals himself to his people. You can only know God to, to, to such a level from general revelation. You can't know him in relationship without special revelation. Moreover, look at, a, look at another difference. Verse 11. The author here is writing about the scriptures. He says in verse 11, Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great, what? Reward. Isn't, there, isn't that interesting? There's a great reward from knowing God from his word. Did you see that with, special, with general revelation? There's no reward there. It's not enough to just know that there's a God somehow from creation. There's no reward there. All there is is condemnation. Condemnation, you're like, that's too serious. Well, I, I don't know. Here's the crisis of general revelation. The knowledge of God from creation. Everybody knows it's only enough to catch you red-handed. It's only enough to show you that you haven't responded to God in the way that he deserves. The knowledge of God in general revelation is only enough to expose you. How does this work? Well, the Apostle Paul develops this further, doesn't he? In Romans 1, 
Let's just briefly consider a few of those ideas. Romans 1.18, Paul writes this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Just a comment here. How is God feeling and revealing himself in verse 18? For the wrath. All of a sudden we just realize there's a personal God who is a just God and he hates ungodliness and unrighteousness, okay? What specifically is he not happy with here in verse 18? Ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, what's that next phrase? Suppress the truth. Spin. Don't you hate it when politicians, news places, spin? They take something, they spin it, they tell you a different story to fit their agenda. Can't stand that, right? Guess what you do with your knowledge of God? According to the text, you spin it sometimes. You suppress the truth. There's parts of this that are uncomfortable for me. I do not like them, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a reason to get out from under it. Suppress the truth. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. He's talking about the same idea in Psalm 19. God has shown everybody about himself through creation. Look at verse 20, Romans 1, verse 20. For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. I didn't know, creation says, yeah, you did. I didn't know, the sunrise says, mm-hmm, yeah, you did. You don't have an excuse. And, and here's, here's the verdict, verse 21. Although they knew God, we know, what do we not do? We did not honor him as God. Don't give him the value, the worth he deserves, or give thanks to him. So instead of being humbly thankful to all of his goodness and provision, we're prideful, we won't honor him, we won't give him thanks. And then look what happens to us, what happens to us. They became futile in their thinking, their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, we get it all now. They became what? Fools and exchanged, worst trade ever made, exchanged the glory of immortal God for images. So there's a lot there, but just three things to see. God is personal and full of righteous anger. Why? He has shown himself to us and we spin it because we don't want to worship him. We don't want to submit to him. And instead we replace him and invent our own gods. That's what we do. People worship the sun or people say there's no God at all. We figured it all out. We replace him. So God has revealed himself in creation. It's beautiful, it's marvelous, it's amazing, it's mysterious, and we are responsible. What should, be, what should the response be as you, as you realize that? Worship, devoted, submitted, worship. And yet, what have we not done? We won't do it. We subvert it, we twist it, and invent our own way. Well, we see how much we, now we need the second kind of revelation. That's where we're gonna look now the second kind of revelation, the better revelation, the special revelation. This is God communicating himself relationally in the books of the Bible through his word. And verses seven to nine describe the beauty and sufficiency of the word of God. 
First thing to notice, as we saw before, verses 7 and 9, in special revelation, God reveals himself as the Lord. He's revealing himself as a covenant God here. Six times his name is mentioned in verses 7, 8, and 9. Lord, 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 Lord. Wow. And it just shows you the God of creation is a personal God. And he enters into serious, intimate relationship with his people. And he desires fellowship. He's a loving God, and his love is seen in revealing himself so that he can be known and rejoiced in. It should blow you away. It should blow me away that the God of creation, the God of the stars, says to you, know me. Are you up for that? Do you want that? He says to you, know me. He invites you to know him, to rejoice in him. Amazing. He does it through his word. I want you to see here just how the author of this passage loves the word of God, shows us beautiful things about the word of God. We'll see it in verses 7, verse 8, verse 9. I want you to notice uh, two things. Number one, see how these verses show you your need. They show you your need. And see how these verses show you the Bible's sufficiency for that need. Because in the Bible, God's revealing himself, his character, who he is. So you see your need, how he meets that need. So verse 7, for instance, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. If you believe that, what does your soul need? It needs to be revived, which means what's your soul like? Without the word of God. What's the opposite of revived? You're passed out. You're empty. You're weak. You're deflated. You're discouraged. You're lost. You're alone. I need to be revived. Oh, but if you would encounter God through his word, it would revive your soul because his word is perfect. And here it means it's, it's wholesome. It has integrity. It holds together. You, you find it. What life is about. From the word of God, you find God. Or the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Here's God's love to you and his backhanded compliment, right? What are you without the Bible? You're simple. What does that mean? You don't get it. You're naive. You're foolish. You can't figure it out. You don't see it. But what does God give you through his word? Makes you wise because his testimony is sure. It's the witness of God about himself and the world he has made. And it can make you wise in knowing him. Builds you up. Wow. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Rejoicing the heart. What does it show you about your heart without God and his word? There's no joy. Don't you feel that? There's no meaning. There's no purpose. I'm always looking for another thing, and it's like a Band-Aid. It gets me for a little bit, but I, I don't have what I need. Until you find God in his word, it rejoices the heart, his precepts, his ways. As he shows you who he is, how he's designed things. His rays are right. They rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Your eyes need to be enlightened because your heart is a mess. You don't process the world in the right way. You don't see what you're supposed to see the way you're supposed to see it. 
until God reveals himself to us through his word and our eyes are enlightened and we find that the commandment of the Lord is pure. Do you ever feel dirty in life sometimes? Dark in life sometimes? And the word of God coming in, pure, clean, can breathe and there's no shame. Commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now I can see what this is about, how this works. The fear of the Lord is clean. So you come before God and his word, it'll give you the fear of the Lord, a reverence for the true and living holy God, and it's clean. There's, there's no impurities there. It endures forever. It gives eternal life. The, world, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Isn't the word of God beautiful? Especially in what it does for us and in us. As we meet God through his word, it changes everything. What's the response? You see the response in verses 10 to 11. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there's great reward. So what's the response to God's word? It's a humble delight. Humble delight. First, delight. Do you see what the author just called the Bible? Gold and honey. You like yourself some gold and honey? Come on now, right? What does gold represent? Resources, wealth. Have what you needed more. You have what you needed more. What does honey represent? Pleasure. It tastes good. I want to eat more of it. It's delicious. It's resources and pleasure in the Bible because there you meet God and you know him and his ways. There is also humility. Look at verse 11. Can you say this? I love the Bible because it's resources to me, I meet God. It's pleasure to me, I know God. And I love the Bible, verse 11, because by the commands of the Bible, I am warned. How many of you love to be warned? <laughs> you don't. You don't love it. I don't particularly either, most of the time. How come you don't like to be warned? Well, sometimes you can't trust the people warning you. Okay, fair enough. But what about if God was warning you? How come you don't like to be warned? I think I don't like to be warned because I'm prideful. And I want it my way. No matter the cost sometimes. Any of you like that? Your heart's like that? I don't want to be warned. I don't want to be humble before the word of God. And this is the part of the passage that stops our cultural moment cold. The idea that a transcendent God would have authority to tell us who he is, how we are designed, how we are to live in light of who he is, and the way to be saved. The idea that what God would tell us that and we would receive it instead of us inventing it, unacceptable. And in some cases, it'll even be called hate speech to say that there's a God who warns. But friends, let me just tell you, the God who made the son, he warns. And those who know him want the warning. 
Give it to me. I don't trust myself. I don't want the authority of my own heart and mind. I'm over that. That's destruction. It's empty. It's darkness. No more. Give me God in his word. And so the response is a humble delight. And so now we all need to confront ourselves. Why would I preach from this text kind of out of the blue beginning of the year? Because I want you to have a humble delight in your Bible. I want you to read your Bible. I want you to read it. And, and think of gold and honey, okay? Gold, you have to mine. You have to dig to get for gold. You don't get gold like you rake leaves. You have to, you have to go deep for gold. You have to work. To, and, and, and to get the glory of the Bible, you have to study. You have to read. And you have to think. And it's hard sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to find gold. It's hard to get in there with the Bible. Read, study. Uh, can we just go ahead and give up on the time excuse? Anybody want to just join me in that? How come you haven't read the Bible? I don't have, go ahead. I don't have the, I don't have the time. That's amazing. You, you have time to find gold and honey in other aspects of your life, don't you? Didn't you have time to find the gold and the honey? Listen, uh, I heard a pastor say it once. I think it's hilarious. The reason God has allowed social media to exist is to show all of you that you really did have time to read the Bible. You had a lot of time, man. You had a lot of time. Your phone shows you the screen time for the week. You could have been reading your Bible. <laughs> I didn't have time. Oh, man. I did. The issue is not time, it's taste. The issue is not time. It's taste, honey. You taste the honey from knowing God through his word, according to the gospel. The more that taste is cultivated, the more somehow you will find the time. See, delight in his word, a humble delight. That's the response to God's word. So I wanna encourage you and challenge you to make a plan for seriously meeting God through his word this next year. If you don't make a plan, you won't do it, right? You won't do it. And in a way, I don't really care what your plan is. I want, I want it to fit you and your needs. Maybe it's simple, maybe it's smaller, maybe it's the whole thing, maybe it's huge. Great, but pray about it and make a plan so that when you come before your Bible, you know what you're gonna read and you're gonna read it and you're gonna study it. If you wanna start small, start in the book of Mark. Just own that book, see Jesus there. Start in Ephesians, read Ephesians over and over and over again. See what... Paul is saying about the gospel. Or do the five-day reading plan and read through the whole Bible. And maybe you're like, it's too fast to do it in a year. Fine, follow the plan for three years. Read it. Study it. Pray it. Meet God in the Bible. Do you see the response? God reveals himself in creation. How should we respond? Worship. God reveals himself all the more. In his word, what's the response? Humble delight. That's where a lot of Christians tend to stop. There's a third revelation in here. Do you want it? There's a third revelation in here. And it looks at, look at verse 12. Look at this question. The author sees God's glory in creation, meets God's righteous character in the scriptures, and then he asks, who can discern his errors? Hmm. 
Now, David is writing this. How many of you feel like you could discern David's errors? I studied, I studied Samuel with some of you, others of you, you've read Samuel. How many of you, you're like, oh, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a pulse on that, yeah. I, oh, David, if you had only, right, we can discern your errors. Unfortunately, that's not the point. I can discern David's errors. Many of you can discern my errors. Your problem is that you can't discern your errors. <laughs> I can't see my errors. Look, the author brings up two problems, hidden faults and presumptuous sins. And the idea with both of these is that you don't see them for what they are. You don't see yourself accurately. And so as David is encountering the revelation of God in creation, the revelation of God in his word, this third revelation is now I need you to show me me in light of what I've seen of you. I need you, God, to show me me in light of what I've seen of you. What are hidden faults? Well, how many of you can relate to this? You've seen a bad habit in your life. The way you talk in a certain setting. The way your rage just jumps out. The way you're full of of self-pity. A bad habit. And you've noticed it before. You thought, ooh, I've got to. Maybe it's in your marriage. It's in a relationship. You've seen it before. Oh, I've got to. I've got to. And then it was tough, right? I've got to. And that would have been tough. And so, and you move on. And you kind of forget about it. And it's hidden this hidden fault. Or maybe personality and experience has formed you in a certain way. And it has, right? It has. And there's beauties to all of that. And your strength is most usually your weakness. And so you've got a blind spot in your life, the way you respond to life. And you're changing lanes, man, without looking in that blind spot. And people are honking at you. And you're just thinking, they're sensitive. They're just sensitive. They're honking at you. You got a character blind spot, you don't see it. Or you don't want to see it. And we have phrases for these, don't we? Do you have little pet excuse phrases for your personality blind spots? I'm just stressed. That made it okay, right? That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's okay to be a jerk when you're stressed. Praise the Lord. Except, oh no, that's not in the Bible. Or you're busy. Or you're righteously angry. Or you have a phrase like this, I'm I'm a strong woman. Or I'm a man who just doesn't care what people think. Are you Christ-like? Are you full of the fruit of the Spirit? In every circumstance. And all of a sudden, my blind spots aren't as blind as they were. Now I'm looking at them. Hidden faults. What about presumption? Presumption. This word is just, I think it's about you assume your preferred way is the right way in that moment. 
I assume God's word isn't quite right or appropriate for me in this situation. Can't you see, God? Uh, look at my situation. It's really difficult. If I obeyed you in this situation, it would be too costly. You understand that, right? So I'm just going to keep doing it. I'll presume it's okay. It's not okay. If you love me, keep my commands when it's comfortable. Oh, that's another command that's not in the Bible. If you love me, keep my commands. Or you assume one sin isn't that sinful, you have good reasons for it. The bottom line is you know better than God in those, right? I just know better than he does. Given Given my situation, I know better than he does. That's a presumptuous sin. Ironically, in our presumptuous sins, we think we're free and need to be free. Do you hear how David talks about it? Keep me back. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. We are slaves to our presumptuous sins. It's chains. It's not freedom. It's chains. It's not freedom. And it's a place where we've pushed away God's revelation of himself. So isn't it amazing? Look what David says. Who can discern his errors? Verse 12. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. And what's that next word? Then. Then what? Then I'll be blameless. This is the key to unlocking sanctification and Christian maturity. The revelation of God now seen in your mind and your heart. God reveals himself in creation. Let's worship him. He reveals himself in his word, humble delight. He reveals us to us in light of who he is so that we can be changed. So that we can be changed. What's the response to that revelation? The revelation of yourself to yourself in light of God's truth. What's the response? I think there's three things here. And notice there, a prayer. You start to pray. Here's the first prayer, verse 12. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. And really in Hebrew, it's like justify me. Call me righteous even though I'm not. Forgive me. Forgive me. That's the first prayer. Forgive me. Second prayer, it's in let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. Who can declare his errors? Keep me from presumptuous sins. The first prayer, I think, is forgive me. The second prayer is show me. Show me. Do you want God to show you your blind spots so you can work on them? Do you want him to remove those bad habits you thought could never go away? Do you want him to enable obedience you thought was too costly, but it just hounds you every day? You want to be real. You want to have integrity. Show me. Forgive me. Show me. Show me. Forgive me. The third one. Save me. Set me free. Change me. Don't let presumptuous sins have dominion over me. It's a prayer for power to change. Change me. Change me. How do I change this? Show me how to change this. Give me the power and the motivation to change this. Then I'll be blameless, even from the words of the mouth and the meditation of my heart. Now, that's legit, right? 
If you're thinking about knowing God and loving him from the heart and with your words, that's like the top of the mountain of character. Now I'm being sanctified in new ways that the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth will be pleasing and acceptable to you. Blameless sins, or sorry, hidden sins shown, removed. Presumptuous sins, fought, transformation. That's the third aspect of Revelation here. Shows you himself from creation, shows you himself in his word, shows you, you, to you, in light of himself, so he can transform you. And there's a fourth one, it's the best one ever. How is this possible? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You get caught in your sin. You get caught not loving God, not loving your neighbor. You get caught, you get exposed, and then you pray, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Who's your rock even in the midst of getting exposed. This was so beautiful here. I'm getting exposed and and in a way where like, I can't breathe, I can't live, I can't see this. This hits at my identity, this hits at my failures, this hits at my regrets. I can't see this, I can't do this. That's why a lot of us don't. You have a rock in the middle of getting exposed and this points us to the gospel. And here you have, I love this, the seventh usage of the name of the Lord. And if you're familiar with Hebrew thought, you're just like, oh, that's pretty sweet, David, as you wrote this song. The seventh revelation of the covenant name of God is when we see him as rock and redeemer. And then, of course, the storyline of the Bible. Come on, church, who does this show us? Who does this point us to? This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Look, look, at the, look at how the idea of rock is used. Look at Psalm 18, verse 2. This is what it means that Jesus is your rock. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and my, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. This is someone on your side. This is someone who protects you and fights for you and saves you and holds you and is the horn of your salvation. I'm yours, I've got you. My rock and my redeemer. What's a redeemer? It's the one who buys you out of slavery into true freedom. Your, your whole future was lost. You, you were in, under evil control, and now you're set free. And who redeemed us? Jesus. How did he redeem us? Perfect life is death on a cross in our place. His resurrection from the dead. Friends, Jesus embodies Psalm 19. Who's the co-creator, the eternal son who made the son? Jesus. Jesus made it all. 
and in his incarnation, who's the one who always responded with perfect worship? It's Jesus. Or then the second, the second kind of revelation, we saw the word. Who's the ultimate word of God? Jesus. You don't even get the Bible until you see Jesus, who he is and what he's done. He is the word. And yet in his incarnation, who's the only one who perfectly obeyed every commandment righteous in every way? It's Jesus. Who's the only one who ever said with integrity, I love your law more than gold and it's sweeter than me than honey. The only one who ever said that in perfect honesty, the son of David, the son of God, Jesus. Who's the one who every meditation of his heart was pleasing to the father whose every word was pure. It's Jesus. He did it. And he's the one who redeems us. He's the one who saves us from, no, I haven't worshiped God from his general revelation. No, I haven't delighted in his word in special revelation. No, I haven't wanted to actually see what's in my heart. Jesus redeems us and enables it. I can come now with safety before the throne of God and joyfully be warned and exposed because I have a rock and a redeemer. His name's Jesus. I have been declared innocent from hidden faults. Yes. So I can now look at my hidden faults and glorify him better. Jesus is our redeemer. Look at Titus 2, 13. Just one picture of the heart of a Christian. We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works even to the heart and to the mouth. Jesus is our redeemer, and that's the fourth and best revelation. How do you respond to that one? Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Believe Jesus. Look at Jesus. Cling to Jesus. And all of the rest flows from that. So I'll ask again, is there a God can we know him? What does that mean for us? Yes, yes, and here it is. God has revealed himself in creation, in his word, in his son, and he's still revealing in our hearts. So respond, rely on Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, come and trust Jesus Christ. He'll forgive you, he'll accept you. It's faith alone. You don't have to earn your way in. You can't earn your way in. Trust Jesus. His life is enough. His death for you, his resurrection. Trust Jesus. If you are a Christian, trust Jesus. <laughs> you still need him. You still need the gospel. He's your rock and your redeemer. And then respond to Revelation this year. Yeah, when you see beautiful things in creation, praise the one who made it. But especially, friends, mine the gold from his word. Mine it, find the honey, suck on it, and let it show you yourself. Let it show you yourself so that you can grow in being blameless. So you can grow in how you glorify God. 
And all this can take place because of Jesus, what he's done for you, and the Holy Spirit he pours out upon us in light of his life, death, and resurrection. So we may be like little children in the library, and Einstein may have been infinitely more brilliant than we are, but we know something he doesn't. We know the one who wrote the books, and we know how he brings us to himself, and we know him because we have Jesus. Let's know him more, amen? Let's know him more. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your kindness in revealing yourself to us. You could have just left us to ourselves. We thank you for your kindness in drawing us near. Thank you for the glory we see of you in creation. Thank you for the beauty of your character and your mighty works we see in your word. Thank you for even even bumping us around in our hearts and our minds, showing us what's there so that we can rely on Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Be forgiven, be transformed. Do that in us, Lord, we pray. Give us a delight for you and delight for your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.